Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 443. A lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, good stuff, pretty much all good stuff, actually. A lot of good stuff happening in the sports world. Let's start today with a piece of news that is small, granular, but worth acknowledging briefly, is that USC quarterback Jackson Dart has entered the transfer portal. Now, I kind of feel bad for the guy because he waited till the last moment, and now he's got to figure out where to go and who wants him, where could he go, where could he try to get playing time. Uh, it's a hard, hard journey for him ahead because, now, he's really talented. He's an NFL quarterback. I'd like to see him, frankly, anywhere, like the SEC, somewhere big in the Big Ten. I, I don't really know. I don't know where he's going to go. I have no idea. Uh, some people suggest BYU. He's from Utah. I think he's actually better, like more talented than a, a, a BYU. I think he really is like an NFL quarterback. But we also saw Zach Wilson go to BYU and become the number two overall pick. So that's an interesting thought. Now, Jackson Dart aside, he's really, really good. Uh, he supplanted Keaton Slovis as the starting quarterback at USC. The thing that I think everybody heard this news and thought was it basically almost guarantees that Caleb Williams, the former Oklahoma quarterback, is heading to USC. He, uh, Caleb Williams was there. Uh, I saw in his Instagram story he was at a Laker game the other night. He visited USC over the weekend. He played for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma last year. And Caleb Williams might be, look, he is probably the most talented quarterback in all of college football. Like, he's a, a future, in my opinion, number one overall pick. He reminds me a lot of Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts maybe combined talent-wise. Like, he can run with power. He's got a great arm. He can move. He can do whatever he wants with a football. He's amazing. And um, him at USC... Sounds fun. Sounds exciting. Uh, I'm just kind of waiting for that news to come out. But, you know, Jackson Dart's a really good college quarterback. And I think one of the only people that could transfer in and cause Jackson Dart to leave is Caleb Williams. So something happened there. Uh, and I'm just kind of waiting for that news to pop at some point very, very soon. Now, the news of the day. The Giants have fired their head coach, Joe Judge. And um, I'm trying to not—I'm very excited about this, but not because I don't like Joe Judge. He's not an awful person, nothing like that. But keeping Joe Judge for another year when I feel like he's just not going to work felt like a dead end. It felt like a wasted year next year. And, like, the only argument I think you could make in favor of keeping Joe Judge is if there's just no good candidates available to become your head coach. And you're like, well, look— the last thing we want to do is hire someone we don't really want for a year, then fire him, then get the coach you really want. So if there's nothing available you like, stick with Joe Judge. I guess that would have made sense. But now they have fired Joe Judge. Uh, the general manager, Dave Gettleman, has been allowed to. He retired, which is very honorable, the Giants. to not fire him. Just let him kind of resign and, and retire. And I do wonder if Brian Flores becoming available, the former Dolphins head coach, you know – because the rumor, the story was, the report was, hey, we're going to keep Joe Judge. We're not going to fire him. He's our guy moving forward. So the Giants were not planning to fire Joe Judge. And then I wonder if Black Monday came, the day that all the coaches get fired, and they were like, oh, my gosh, Brian Flores is available? Boop, let's go get him. I think that might have got the gears turning because it wasn't until Tuesday that Joe Judge got fired. Um, and 
man, you look at the Giants right now. The Giants have two top ten picks, the number five overall pick and the number seven overall pick. In theory, you could trade those picks for, say, Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, or Deshaun Watson, where you get a, a starting quarterback that's really good and maybe a higher coach like Brian Flores. Now, with Brian Flores, I love the guy. He does not coach the offensive side of the football. He has to, has to get a good offensive coordinator. But um, right now, if you're a Giants fan, these are very, very exciting times. I Look, I thought the Giants were going to do nothing. They reported, we're going to keep the coach, we're going to keep the quarterback, we're not going to do anything. And I was like, oh, what? I, I felt horribly sad because all, all I want the Giants to do is make any kind of move. The last thing you want to see your team do, I'm not a Giants fan, but if you're a Giants fan, the last thing you want to see your team do is do nothing because you're bad. You're horrible. And you don't have the right quarterback. I don't think you have the right head coach. Now you got rid of the coach. You're in a position where if you want to trade for a quarterback, two top 10 picks, you can make that trade. If you are a Giants fan, you are sitting really, really happily at home right now and going, oh boy, uh, we got, we're in a position to make a lot of moves and potentially set our franchise off in the right direction. And uh, hey, if nothing else, I Dave Gettleman has driven me crazy for years in New York, and Joe Judge uh, was not a very good head coach. But maybe we got to thank them if you're a Giants fan. Again, I'm not, I feel like I'm talking as if I'm a Giants fan. I'm really not. Uh, but maybe Giants fans have to thank them because if nothing else, they gave their team an opportunity like this with a bad team last year, a good draft pick this year, they're in a spot in a spot now with the former Bears pick, the trade for Justin Fields. They got that's the pick they have now and the pick they have by being bad. Now they're in a position where, oddly enough, in a weird way, Joe Judge losing games and Dave Gettleman making that trade have now allowed the Giants to be in a position where they're a move or two away from being a really good football team or at least a team that is competitive again. And uh, that's all I want. I really like... Football is better when Michigan is good, when the Giants are good, when USC football is good, when Texas football is good. The Giants are one of those foundational franchises in the NFL that when they're competitive, I think football is just better. And I really want to see the Giants get back to some kind of relevance again. All right. Uh, We got some more information on the firing of Brian Flores. He was let go by the Miami Dolphins. There's a great article by... Ben Solak titled, The Dolphins Didn't Fire Brian Flores Because of His Coaching. That article is on The Ringer. Hey, Ben, well done, my man. That's great reporting. It's a great article. Um, There's not a lot of great written sports journalism anymore, and this is some really good stuff there. Uh, So the article acknowledges and points out that Brian Flores overachieved in Miami. He won games that he probably should not have won given the lack of talent in Miami. But Brian Flores did not agree with ownership on the quarterback to a tongue of Aloha. And owner Stephen Ross and GM Chris Greer, they liked Tua. They were, they were team to a tongue of Aloha. And during the draft process, apparently, Brian Flores really, really wanted Justin Herbert. Can you blame him? Look, I, I, <laughs> looking back now, I was totally wrong. I remember not being that excited about Justin Herbert. Totally, totally wrong. And the article characterizes Brian Flores as abrasive. He has struggled to hire offensive coaches. He had four 
offensive coordinators in three years, and in the three years Brian Flores was in Miami, they never really had a good offense. You could blame the quarterback, but they had they had Josh Rosen. They didn't develop him. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick. They never could commit to Tua. They were always back and forth with Tua and Jacoby Brissett, Tua, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And apparently Brian Flores did not build a good relationship with his GM, Chris Greer, or his quarterback, Tua. And he kind of lost the game of politics and people skills when it came to his coaching in Miami. Now, great article. Go read it. It's like I read it three times. There's a lot of really good stuff. I think stuff that can help you for the rest of your life and outside of football for sure. But I want to share my commentary because I, I read this and thought, man, the minute that what Brian Flores viewed as the wrong quarterback was drafted by his team in Miami, Brian Flores probably, in a, in a, in a best-case scenario, should have walked away and realized, hmm, I'm not your coach. And I actually wonder if Brian Flores, when they picked Tua over Justin Herbert in his heart, deep inside, he had this feeling of, I don't, I don't want to be here. Like, I, I, they, they picked a guy I don't want. I've got a quarterback now I don't want. We passed on the quarterback I really wanted. And as things worked out, at least Brian Flores could not have left at that moment. So remember, back in the day, because the way Brian Flores has been fired now, he leaves with good standing in the NFL. He's probably going to get another head coaching opportunity in the future. If Brian Flores had stepped down the minute they drafted Tua, he would have been, after one year, viewed as a coach who was 5-11, and then quit on his football team, and probably would not have gotten another head coaching job. So I think it's very possible and likely Brian Flores felt trapped in Miami. But he did not want Tua. And that's a big problem because knowing what I know now, um, I am glad for his sake and for the sake of Miami that he's not coaching there anymore. Now, let's be very clear about one thing. Brian Flores is a good head coach. Does he have a hard time relating to the offensive side of the football? It appears so. He needs to figure out the offensive coordinator part of the game and hire someone who he trusts and is good and ideally get a good quarterback. I would love to see Brian Flores in Seattle. But one thing is clear about Brian Flores. He gets the most out of his roster. He can, especially on defense, really rally people, bring them together. And I don't even know that there's no guarantee that if Justin Herbert had gone to Miami, that he would be the same success as he is in L.A. Miami has no offensive line. They had bad coaching on offense. Like, we don't know that Justin Herbert would be, he'd be good. Like, we'd be like, oh my gosh, look at that throw. He'd be like very raw and talented, but he may not be one of the very best quarterbacks in the entire NFL or viewed that way, the way he is now, because he would have had to work with the same garbage around him that Tua's had to work with. And, and Tua is never going to compare very well to Justin Herbert because Herbert is a much, much more talented quarterback and naturally can run, can throw, can make throws to people in his face. Literally, I saw him on Sunday, I saw him throw a defender aside and throw a ball downfield. And I was just like, oh, oh my goodness. It was ridiculous. Now, um, for Brian Flores and ownership and management, to not agree on the quarterback is a massive, massive problem. And it explains a lot. They did not have the same goals. It was a bad fit. It's kind of like, I don't know, like, like marrying someone who wants kids when you really don't want kids. You're not headed in the same direction. And I have been in relationships where, you know, it's a bad fit. 
and you don't want the same things in your future. And so I speak from experience. What that does is leads to a constant feeling of disappointment. I would imagine Brian Flores was constantly disappointed. He would watch Chargers highlights and go, oh, my God, we could have had that kid. I'm watching Justin Herbert make throw after throw after throw. We could have had that guy, and instead we have Tua. And he goes to practice every day, watches Tua be okay, and is like, I, I just imagine. I can, I can hear the pain in that story. Brian Flores every day being disappointed in what he has to work with and what he has to deal with every day. Being like, ah, this isn't what I want. But I'm stuck here. I can't leave. And I, I tell you, I know what that feels like. Imagine buying a house you hate. Can you imagine that? You're like, I hate the kitchen. I hate the balcony. I hate the neighborhood. I hate the bathroom. I hate the living room. Imagine like if you really hated where you lived. And then your partner, the, peop- the person you're supposed to work with and collaborate with every single day, imagine if your partner wanted you to love the house because they loved it. And they're upset that you don't love the kitchen and the bathroom and whatever. It was never going to work. You can't have a GM that wants a quarterback and a coach that doesn't. It doesn't happen. And then especially, like I said, when Justin Herbert is very quickly showing himself to be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL, let alone young quarterbacks. Again, I cannot imagine how much that hurt the trust between the coach, Brian Flores, the owner, and the GM. Chris Greer. Those guys have to be on the same page. And I like Tua. I I have a Tua shirt. I live in Hawaii. Tua is one of my favorite human beings in the football world, and I am rooting for him. I want Tua to do well. However, I am not delusional. I'm not crazy. I am a fan of Tua, but I'm also an analyst who can watch with my eyeballs and go, yeah, yeah, they don't really compare. Justin Herbert is a head and shoulders better quarterback than Tua Tungavaloa. And I would rather, in a heartbeat, I would way rather build around Justin Herbert than Tua. And that's, that's painful to say, maybe, but that's true. Now, this article did confirm what I believed the minute I saw that Brian Flores had been fired, which is that part of the firing of Brian Flores was that Miami's committing to Tua. They want to hire someone who can help to develop him and build around him. And by the way, that's not a terrible plan. Tua has limited capability. He's not got the biggest arm. He's not going to run around. Like, again, he's a bad comparison to Justin Herbert because Justin's got a massive arm, can run, do whatever he wants on a football field. If Tua's going to work, his comparison is maybe Drew Brees, a guy who is not as physically gifted, has to be really accurate, has to have great timing, has to master a defense, can't really run around. Like, you got to give Tua a lot of help if you want Tua to work. And it sounds like management in Miami wants Tua to work. And so they're like, look, we got to get a coach who actually wants him. We got to get a good offensive line. We got to draft another receiver or two and get probably an offensive minded coach who not only believes in Tua, but wants to build an offense specifically around the skill set of Tua. And if you do all the like, you know, it's like a big long checklist. If you do like the 20 things required on a checklist, you probably are going to get a good scenario for Tua where he can maximize his potential. That did not appear to be happening under Brian Flores. Now, I don't know if a new coach can win with Tua. Again, need a new offensive line, another stud receiver. But I am sure of one thing. I am very, very confident of one thing. After reading this article, after doing some more research, talking to some more people, Tua was not going to work with Brian Flores. Brian Flores didn't want him. There's nothing more tragic than being a head coach with 
a team that's invested, you know, management invested in a quarterback that you don't want. That was never going to work. And that disappointment on a day-to-day basis working with someone, someone leaks out. People can tell when you're disappointed in them. And, like, a great example of the opposite of that, look at the Jets head coach, Robert Sala. He's a defensive-minded head coach. He does not coach quarterbacks, but he meets with his young quarterback, Zach Wilson, all the time. And there's legendary reports about how they meet and talk about football for hours. And the defensive mind of Robert Sala gives whatever knowledge he can to the young rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson. We never heard stories like that from Tua. In fact, the, the times we heard Tua talk about meeting with Brian Flores, it sounded like he gave that quote, like, I don't not feel wanted. And you're like, what does that even mean? It's a double negative. You're like, so you, wait, what? Like, they didn't sound like it had a great budding relationship where Brian Flores is like trying to offer whatever knowledge he had. And it sounded like Brian Flores was exhausted and tired of dealing with him. And so the big lesson here is that make sure you're on the same page. When you collaborate with people, make sure you have the same goals, the same values. Hey, fit matters. There's a better fit for you than others. And some people, you might like them a lot, especially in relationships. You might really love someone, but they're not a good fit for you. Not everybody's a good fit. And by the way, making it work with someone who's a bad fit is often disappointing. And that disappointment is something that I've experienced firsthand. It's not fun. Finding someone who is a good fit where you align that right there is super rewarding. And so Brian Flores in Miami, they're better off apart. So is Tua, everybody there. And I'm excited for the future of Brian Flores. And if Miami really wants to work with Tua, they now have an opportunity to hire somebody and build a team around Tua the way that Brian Flores sounded like he really wasn't willing to or desired doing. So again, it's weird, but it now makes sense. And uh, I think actually with that kind of context, it's a good thing that Miami parted ways with their, again, a good head coach, Brian Flores. But winning games and being good doesn't mean he's a good fit for you. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is it sounded like Miami chose to commit to Tua over Brian Flores. Is that a mistake? I don't know. Quite possibly. Um, But I'm excited to see what both of them do moving forward. And we'll revisit this in the future because someday we'll go, well, how did it work out with Tua? Maybe Tua turns into a great quarterback in the next couple of years, and maybe Brian Flores becomes a great head coach somewhere else. And I'd love to see that, where they both win. Although I've learned from the past, it's usually one side wins and one side does not. And so um, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping they both go their separate ways and are very successful by themselves. But I I know from doing this for now years and years that that very rarely does happen. So we'll see which side wins the – breakup. All right, let's shift to college football. In the college football national championship, Georgia just beat Alabama 33-18. to Now, let's be clear about one thing. The game was not a blowout. I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but I got to say, first of all, great for Georgia, good for their fans. It's the first time they have won a national title in 41 41- years. I did not realize it had been that long. I thought for some reason, I I just, I'm like 41 years. What? That's like the eighties, dude. That's like the, yeah, that's like 81, something like that. I can't believe it's already 2021. That's crazy. The years are just flying by. Um, (laughs) It's the first time that Georgia head coach Kirby Smart has ever beat 
Alabama and Nick Saban. He is now one in four against them, including he lost once before in a national title game. Good for Kirby Smart. Good for Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback, had to walk on at Georgia. He had played junior college for a little bit. Now he won a national title. That's very cool. He, by the way, beat a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback to do that. And I want to be clear on one thing. I really hope this is not the peak of Stetson Bennett's life. It's very easy for that to happen where a guy goes. I mean, for sure, Stetson Bennett, it's a great memory. It's always going to be a highlight of his life. But this should not be the very best moment of his life. At least I hope it's not because there's a lot of good stuff ahead of him. He's only in his 20s. And a lot of guys like him who he's not really an NFL quarterback. He's undersized, got an average arm. He's just he's not going to be a, a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And a lot of guys like him. I think of people like, uh, without, man, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I think of guys like John David Booty. John David Booty, a former USC quarterback, won a Rose Bowl. Is like, And it feels like when you look at people like that, social media, and you, you follow them, it feels like they are living in the past and talking about the glory days. And I'm not saying that John David Booty is that, but I saw John David Booty's Instagram the other day and was like, ah, oh, remember him? I, I, and I thought, like, I hope his life wasn't, the peak moment at USC. I hope he like has moved on and done good stuff. And I hope the same for Stetson Bennett because a lot of guys, again, they talk about, Oh, remember when, and they talk about when, you know, they tell their kids, Hey, daddy once was really popular and cool. And I want to, I want a national championship. I don't want that to be Stetson Bennett's future. And I hope more than anything uh, that he can take the lessons he's learned here at Georgia winning a national title and can use them in his personal and professional life. And and maybe, look, Stetson Bennett, if you're watching and listening, I think you'd be a great broadcaster. I think you have some uh, interesting insight you could add to the world. But, um, you know, I, I really hope that this is a highlight of his life but not the peak point of his life moving forward. He's a guy who is clearly very intelligent, uh, and I, I'd like to see good things in the future from Stetson Bennett off of the football field. Now, the game itself. I would not say this was an exciting football game, but it was good football. Like, I, there's a difference there. It wasn't like a bad game. It just wasn't high scoring, back and forth crazy. It was, you know, there were five field goals in the first half. It was very tense. It was a defensive battle. Alabama led at halftime nine to six. Uh, scoring didn't really get going until a minute left in the third quarter. And the game really came down to. The very final minute, Alabama had the ball down eight points. And with that possession, they had an opportunity to tie the game. And hey, this is all for me watching. That's all I want. All I want is a game that comes down to the final minute where I'm like, okay, I, it's not clear who's going to win. One team has a shot. It's a close game. It's interesting. It's intense. Now, the game had a deciding moment, and it really tipped the scales heavily in favor of Georgia at the end of the game, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Bryce Young threw a pick six. That gave Georgia a 33-18 to lead and a victory. So the game looks like, oh my gosh, Georgia won by, what is that, 25 points? But the reality is it's a little bit different than that. And that's 25 points. What am I saying? 15 points. 25. Oh, someone help me with math. Uh, no, <laughs> Georgia won by 15 points. And that looks way worse than it really is. This game was not a blow. This game was fun, intense. Very like, I mean, these were the two best teams in college football, very, very clearly. I mean, it felt like, I, I remember taking notes. I'm like, there is so much talent on this football field. Just NFL players left and right. And now people will talk about this. I have to acknowledge it. 
Alabama was not at 100%, especially at receiver. Uh, their top receiver, John Mechie, was hurt. Uh, Jamison Williams, one of their top receivers, got hurt during the game. And and absolutely, that played a part in you know losing here for Alabama. But that's also football. You have to find ways to overcome that. And it's not like Alabama has any lack of really good, talented people to step up and, and you know, replace people like Jamison Williams. And uh, I got to also give credit to, it's very crazy how quickly Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, was able to get on the page with, like, a freshman receiver like Hall. Or there were people stepping up. I was like, ah, wow, wow, wow. There's talent everywhere on this football team. And really what you got to do is give credit to Georgia's defense. I mean, they held Alabama to a bunch of field goals, basically. They gave up one touchdown, but especially on the goal line, they stopped Alabama on the goal line multiple times and held them to a field goal. It was a hard-fought game, great matchup, a lot of talent on the field. And look, Georgia was down five points with 10 minutes to go. They were down um, 18 to 13. And then Stetson Bennett, their quarterback, made a couple plays. They had two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, made some plays when he needed to. And Georgia was a better team. Really cool story for Georgia. They're uh, they got a really great receiver, George Pickens, who tore his ACL in spring ball a long time ago and fought back to get back on the field. He had a really long, great catch early in this game for 52 yards and set up a field goal. Like, there were great plays all over the field for both sides of the ball and both teams. Uh, there is some cool news for Oregon football. Dan Landing, the, the you know former, as of last night, former Georgia defensive coordinator, now the future Oregon head football coach, he can say now he is a national championship winning coach, and that will... It certainly cannot hurt Oregon recruiting moving forward. And uh, the final note here really is that Nick Saban had a cool moment in his press conference after the game where he was sitting next to Bryce Young on his right, Will Anderson on his left, and they went to leave, and he kind of put his arms out, held them back for a second, and went out of his way to praise them and thank them for their efforts and the good year they had. And uh, my voice cracked, you hear that? And I I, I like that. I just, I really, I thought... Nick Saban handled losing with a lot of class. He gave a lot of praise to Kirby Smart. And it was a very, say what you want about Nick Saban, man. I, I think the way he handled losing last night is, is part of what makes him a great coach. Like, he, he got beat straight up. He acknowledged it. He shook Kirby Smart's hand. He gave him praise. That's a, a guy who used to work for him at Alabama. And all in all, it's a, a really solid game. Congrats to Georgia. They are the college football national champions. And, uh... I don't know. It was just that, that's the college football Super Bowl. It was a fun spectacle, stuff everywhere. And uh, again, people will say it was a boring game. It was a tense game. It was kind of like an action. It was more of a slow paced thriller than a Michael Bay movie. It wasn't explosions, you know, 45 to 56, anything like that. But it was definitely a tense, interesting, fun football game. And if you like defense, oh my gosh, there were defensive plays made everywhere, especially early on in this football game. And uh, I would not call this a bad national title game. Came down to the final minute. That's all I ever want in a football game is to not know who's going to win until the very end. And, uh, yeah, great win for Georgia. A, honestly, a good effort from Alabama. Georgia was a better team. And uh, I really respected the way Alabama handled losing with a lot of class. All right. Uh, it is now time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You can submit questions. Uh, I, this is where I read questions from the audience. I probably should have said that. Ask Zach. I read questions from you guys, the people 
listening. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. That's a dollar a month is $12 a year. Please, like, I, I, please help me. I would really like your support. Uh, got an announcement coming soon, I think, relating to film analysis there. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read it on the show. My only guarantee is I look at each question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. Question number one today. Wait, basically, there's two of them, actually. That, I don't even, I don't know what to say. The Bull, KD97, and Jeffrey both wrote in. Uh, Devin also wrote in about this, but I'm going to stick with these two for now. Devin gets his questions read a lot. Uh, the Bull, KD97, says, how do you think the Colts feel knowing that they gave up so much for a quarterback that made them regress? Go Birds. He's an Eagles fan. Jeffrey says, what would you do with a Colts quarterback situation? I know it's the first year with Wentz, but it's another season of a wasted Super Bowl caliber team where the most important position has left them has let them down. Would you let it ride with Wentz again or maybe trade for a veteran like Matt Ryan? I don't think the draft is an option for them because this class is so weak compared to previous years. Let me know your thoughts on this. Hope all is well. So, look, the Colts should not make Another change at quarterback. They've had three different quarterbacks in three years. Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, and now Carson Wentz. Like, I, I, look, it sucks, right? You started one and four. It's pretty hard to come back from that. Uh, they had injuries early on. They dealt with the Rona. Um, as far as moving forward with the Colts, everyone wants it, Carson did not play well in the final game of the year, and that cost him. Like that, there is no way around that. Uh, but. As far as the options available to the Colts next year, I would argue that Carson Wentz is by far the best option they have. They're not going to draft a quarterback. You could trade for Matt Ryan, but that's going to be more expensive. And I, I think really all the Colts can do at this point is continue to build around Carson Wentz, commit to him, uh, help him develop. And, uh, you know, I, I even said when they started one and four, I literally remember saying, hey, the year is now shifted to getting ready for next year, building chemistry so that next year the Colts can try to make a Super Bowl run because after a 1-4 and four start, it felt like it's not going to happen. Now, they almost made the playoffs. There was a moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that they're – the fact that they were in contention for the playoffs at all was kind of a miracle and very impressive. But um, all in all, like, you know, they went 9-8, and eight, four of the games they lost in the first five. That's – you know, you got to start better. And if they can – do better next year. I, I think Carson's their guy. They're not going to change that. And uh, I think Carson for sure is guaranteed to at least be there next year. But I want to see them make a couple moves. I think they need another defensive playmaker. Uh, if they can draft someone like that in the second round. I think they only have a second round pick because they give a lot of picks to the Eagles. So um, for sure it's disappointing, though. You gave up a lot for Carson. And uh, he didn't elevate your football team. And that's a it's a big shame. I don't. You're kind of stuck with him, and I don't know that that's entirely bad. I think you can adjust and do better next year, but uh, certainly if you're a Colts fan, I, I'm really sorry for you guys. I feel a lot of disappointment from you, and I totally understand it. Uh, Evan writes in. He says, now, for my question, if you were a head coach, how would you handle all the analytics decisions, and what are your views on analytics in general? Um, I mean, if you're a head coach in the NFL, you can definitely hire someone to be an advisor with analytics and give you, I would definitely want to hear what the 
numbers guys have to say. I wouldn't always let that dictate what I do. And when you ask about analytics, that's very vague. That's do we punt? Do we kick a field goal? Like all that stuff. Um, I, I would probably make decisions based on what I'm feeling than based on what numbers tell me. I'm just not a very numbers-driven human being. But I would always, always listen to what analytics people tell me. And if the numbers are way in my favor, I'd be like, yeah, okay, let's go for two because that makes sense, right? Uh, for example, Alabama was up five points yesterday. They went for two. Is that good analytics or just, hey, if we go for two, we're up seven points? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I need analytics to help make that decision, but I would always, if I'm an NFL coach, hire someone to tell me, you know, to be in my ear at minimum and say, hey, before you make this decision, analytics say do blank. I'd always want that available to me. Uh, now, whether it's analytics or not, I would go for it on fourth down like all the time because uh, it, if you're a defense and you know, hey, they got four downs to get 10 yards, that's really demoralizing and intimidating. And even from just a psychological standpoint, let alone a tactical advantage, I think going for it on fourth down is the right thing. Probably not uh, fourth and one on my own 18-yard line up or down three points in a game where the winner gets into the playoffs like Brandon Staley did. I don't know why they went for it there. Um, that didn't feel like analytics. That felt like something else. I don't understand that. But, uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, don't always go for it on fourth down. But I definitely – my favorite thing about Brandon Staley, he, he gets a lot of you know, hate for his – he has a lot of bad optics. Let's be honest about that. Uh, but he's a good coach who is very intelligent, and I like that he goes for it on fourth down. I just hated that call against the Raiders to go for it fourth and one. You're on 18-yard line. You're only down 17 to 14. Eight minutes left in the third quarter. It's not even the fourth quarter. Like, what are you doing there, bud? I don't, I don't understand that. But uh, analytics in general, I would always want to hear what, you know, my analytics expert can tell me and let that – I don't know that I'd listen to it all the time, but hearing that would inform my decision when I'm trying to make a tough call. Okay, Hamman writes in. He says, you were definitely right about Matthew Stafford's boneheaded decisions costing the team. I have not yet watched the Rams 49ers game yet. It's on my list. Uh, it's one of the only games I haven't watched from week 18. Um, but <laughs> based on the other games I've watched from the Rams this year, I've watched pretty much every game they've played other than that one. It's almost like Matthew Stafford can't help himself from making a key critical mistake. It's it's like, or, or not even a critical like, It's just like he's always got that one throw a game where he's like, I'm going to do it. And he just says YOLO and makes a terrible throw. And you're like, what are you doing? It's not open. It's almost like when you remember find, finding Nemo, uh, Nemo, there, there, there's a boat. They call it a butt. He's like, I'm going to touch the butt. I'm going to touch the butt. And it's really, it's a boat, you know, but he's like, I'm going to do it. And it's like Matthew Stafford is like, I'm going to touch the butt. I'm going to do it. And I, I'm like, no, Matthew, don't do it. Like, you ever hear, uh, if you listen to Green Lights, Matthew Stafford goes, Matthew. It's like, no, Matthew, don't do it. <laughs> I just, I'm like, Stafford, what are you doing, bud? That's not open. That's not a good throw. You're forcing it into quadruple coverage. He has that. He just seems like every game he's got one of those. One, sometimes even two of those throws where you're like, bro, you had such a good game. You made great throw after great throw after great throw. And then you did that. And uh, I think that's just who he is. I don't. You know, after watching him all year, probably more closely than I ever watched Matthew Stafford, he just is a guy who every game is going to make one or two terrible throws. And, it, it, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So it seems like that's just who he is as a quarterback. And uh, um, <laughs> it's certainly a problem. It's certainly 
Uh, very, very concerning if you are a Rams fan. Dominic writes in. Dominic says, hey, Zach, how do you feel about this game between the two most inconsistent or confusing teams in the league with the Rams and Arizona? I don't know. I feel like it should be an easy Rams win. But with Stafford's struggles, it could really be interesting. I've got a feeling it's going to come down to the better coaching from Sean McVay. Hope you're doing well. Best wishes, Dom. Yeah, Monday Night Football, which, by the way, isn't great if you're playing a Monday night. It means you have fewer games to prepare for the next game in in the second round of the playoffs. But I have no idea what's going to happen between Arizona and L.A. Um, Neither team, in my opinion, is going to win a Super Bowl. Arizona makes way too many critical mistakes. Matthew Stafford makes too many terrible boneheaded throws. But I will say, uh, whether... Problems aside, Monday night football, Cardinals at Rams, SoFi Stadium, hey, look, that's going to be an amazing football game. Like, I don't care who you are. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be wildly entertaining, back and forth, really interesting. It's probably the only game. I'm going to have to pick a winner. I'm going to do predictions this week, but I don't. I'm th- you know, it's, I had my predictions all figured out except for that game, and I'm like, I'll push them back to later in the week so I can mull it over. Who am I going to decide? How do you predict the winner there? It's like, I don't even – if anyone has any feedback, let me know. Who, who has an edge? I, I'm really – I'm all ears because I'm trying to make my pick, and I'm like, I don't I, – I really don't know. Um, but it's going to be a great – maybe that's my prediction. Maybe my prediction, I figured it out. My, I predict a great game. It's interesting where both teams make a critical mistake or two. And whoever can make the fewer mistakes will win. Who's that going to be? I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, so maybe that's my prediction right there. I'm predicting a great game where a critical mistake will be the deciding factor. Now, which team will make that critical mistake? I do not know. Braden writes in, says, how do you feel about Drew Locke's performance the last three weeks of the year? Yeah, he went 0-3. But I think given all of the circumstances, offensive line issues, drops, Pat Shermer, that he played well enough to at least deserve a chance to compete for the starting job or a starting job. Whether or not that's in Denver is a different story, but maybe he'd be a trade piece. What do you think? I got So I don't know how to, I don't, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be in the running for a starting quarterback job. I don't know. Like maybe Pittsburgh would trade for him. That'd be interesting. I think he fits well in Pittsburgh. He's got a big arm. Uh, they need a quarterback for sure. I want to ask a question, though. So, so maybe he would be like a – you trade him for like a fourth or fifth round pick. Like, I could see that. There, there's something there. He's not awful. But really what I want to know, there, something happened behind the scenes with Vic Fangio, the former Broncos head coach, and Drew Locke. We don't know what it is. But why did Vic Fangio seem to just hate Drew Locke? It seems like he detested him. And what was happening off the field? Because – Coach Vic Fangio did not seem to respect Drew Locke at all. Like, he could not get—nothing Drew Locke did was ever good enough. He hated the guy, didn't like working with him. Fangio seemed unhappy with him. Kind of like—and maybe Vic Fangio was just unhappy, period, and that's possible. Like, Fangio at the end—I remember watching that Ravens game when Vic Fangio—the Ravens ran for four yards to end the game instead of kneeling. And Vic Fangio was livid. He was so mad. And I'm like, dude, what? Why are you choosing to be angry about that? And, and Vic Fangio, I think when someone's choosing to be angry about nonsense like that and given some of the quotes he gave, he sounded insecure and frustrated and he wanted to kind of save face a little bit. Like he was embarrassed about losing and wanted to succeed. Um, 
I think it's very possible that Vic Fangio was kind of depressed and bitter about losing and bitter about the situation he was in, that he couldn't get a starting quarterback. And I think he took a lot of his frustration out on, I think the story he told himself is that it's Drew Locke's fault for not being better. If we, if Drew Locke had been a good quarterback, we would have, would have won more and I might've kept my job and we, we could have won. Um, you know, he, he said multiple times, you know, we lost and we're last in our division because we don't have a good quarterback. So um, I, I, you know, the story you tell yourself is one that makes you the hero and makes you comfortable. And, and by the way, that's I, I stumbled onto something amazing. Um, that's something I say all the time. When you're interacting with someone and they're mad at you or this or that, or, or maybe their version of events don't line up with reality, you got to remember, nobody likes to admit that they're wrong or made a mistake or maybe you're stupid. And so as human beings, we like to tell ourselves stories that – make us the hero or the victim and make us feel good about ourselves. And, and maybe the story that Vic Fangio told himself was that I'm getting fired. I'm in this position. I'm losing games because Drew Locke wasn't good enough. And um, I think that's, that's some good stuff. Right? That's some very insightful and stuff that can help you the rest of your life because when you're inter- interacting with people and you don't like how they're treating you or whatever, just remember, they're not probably – not everyone's awful – a lot of people are just scared or insecure or trying to care for their own heart, and they'd rather make you the bad guy than admit they were wrong. And I feel like a little bit of that was playing out with Vic Fangio and Drew Locke in Denver. I should make that a breakout. That was some – dude, that was some good beep. Like I want to say the S word. That was some good stuff, and uh, I, I probably should make that a breakout. Christopher writes in – interesting question. I won't talk too long about this. So Zach – I remember you talking about the type of coach you'd be and the offense you'd run with motions and such. It was very interesting, and I learned a lot. Could you talk about maybe what defense you'd run or something you'd hate to face and why? Uh, I got a lot to say here. First of all, what kind of defense would I hate to play against? One that has a lot of pre-snap movement where you can't really tell what look they're running. If a linebacker's just running around and you can't tell who's going to give pressure on you and you know, safeties are moving and you can't tell what coverage they are. The easiest thing as a quarterback is when they're, everything's stagnant. And you're like, okay, well, uh, the corner's pressing the receiver really tightly on both sides. The safeties are deep right on the hash. It's probably cover two. And they're just going to, you know, press, play the flat, or it's cover two man. And they're going to run with the defender based on what they do at the snap. A um, lot of stuff like that. It, alignment can really tell you what coverages are at the high school, sometimes at the lower college levels. Uh, if I was a coach at like the D1 college level or the NFL, I would run four down linemen because I think if you can get pressure with four down linemen, you're going to win almost every game. If you can get two really good defensive ends and some interior pressure, and if that's all you need to bring and you can get pressure, like you're going to win every game. It's immaculate. That's, that's such a terrifying and difficult thing to go up against as a quarterback when you're like, hey, you can't block that right that right that defensive end. You just, Miles Garrett, you're not going to block him. Like, if you can get someone like that, you're golden. And then the best thing you can do if you have a good defensive line, which I really value having good linemen, defensive and offensive linemen are like gold. You can't have enough of them. They're amazing. The way you can augment and really help your defense is have lots of. So I, I secondary, I I wouldn't want to hire. I wouldn't want to pay a lot of good corners. Frankly, I'd rather have a good defensive lineman than a good corner. A good corner can still get beat, and the way the NFL is going, I, I talked to a guy recently who said 
in the NFL, basically all you can do is play good coverage and hope the quarterback throws you the ball. Like you, you got to hope that if they're because if they're accurate, there's nothing you can do because of the rules of the NFL. Now you're kind of just you're hoping you're next to your receiver, and if they're inaccurate, you can make an interception or something. And that's what I think Trevon Diggs does a lot, the Cowboys corner. But you can't do you can't be very physical at corner. I wouldn't invest in corners at all. The way I would help my secondary. Get a really good defensive line that makes the quarterback nervous, that makes the quarterback have to move in the pocket or throw as he's getting hit or can impact throwing lanes. Because if you have a good defensive line, they're going to dramatically make your secondary better because they don't have to cover as long because the quarterback's got to get the ball out of his hands and he's probably getting hit, hit as he throws and he's inaccurate or hands are up in his face. So I would not invest in a secondary. I would invest in a defensive line first and foremost. And then... I would have people, linebackers especially, do not just align and stand there. Disguise coverages, move around. At the NFL level, you can do that all the time. And the worst thing you can do against a guy like Tom Brady is just line up and cover two, let him go, oh, hey, it's cover two, and just snap the ball. He knows exactly where to go with the ball because he already he can see pre-snap what you're doing. Don't help the quarterback out by allowing them to determine what coverage you're running pre-snap. Hey, let's talk about high school. What would I do if I was a high school coach? It's very different, actually. In high school, you have way less time to practice, and you got, it's a, you're not going to find Miles Garrett in high school very often, right? It's a lot harder to find truly a good defensive lineman body type in high school football. So I would actually run a 3-4, which is three down linemen. You can find three big guys. Four is harder to find, and... More linebackers, because finding linebacker body types is much more common and a lot easier at the high school level. I'd still run four, you know, two corners and two safeties because that's just easier than trying to run a three-five and have all these weird like hybrid players. That's confusing to me. Some teams do run a you know three down linemen, five linebackers that are kind of corners and they're kind of linebackers, and then three, you know a safety and two corners. I, I'm not really here for that. I don't like that. Um, I'd rather be able to run more base coverages, and you can, but it's more convoluted. And I think the less complicated you can be, the better at the high school level because you only get like six hours a week with your team. Like you don't have a lot of time to install and rep stuff and practice stuff. Um, you know, a lot of teams, there's a lot, a lot of limits on how long you can practice, how much time you get with guys. So I would run a 3-4, three, three down linemen, four linebackers, because I can find four linebacker types a lot easier than I can find four linemen types, probably, most likely. You know, a lot of guys are short and skinny and can run and hit people. And I would run, like, two or three coverages. I'd probably run – I'd run a lot of cover two because I, I would really be daring quarterbacks to throw that whole shot. If I'm, a, if I'm a, at a high school level, I'm like, hey, look, you're not going to throw a whole shot every time. Like, go ahead. Which is basically what that means is you're throwing the ball behind a, cor- a corner, press the line of scrimmage, let the receiver go, and then there's a brief period of time where a, a guy running a fade is between the corner and his safety going over the top. Now, if number two goes vertical, the corner will also follow, and the safety takes number two going vertical, the corner takes number one going vertical. That's probably a lot of technical, complicated stuff. I'm not trying to complicate things. What I'm trying to say, I'd run cover two, cover three. And, and man coverage, and probably a cover zero blitz. And that's it. That's literally it. 
I'm not running cover for. It's really complicated. The running stuff is – it's hard to install cover for because the running assignment for your safety, he's part of the gap fits, and it's the, – the more simple I can be, the better at the high school football level. And I would rather be, hey, I run cover two, cover three, um, you know, cover two man, a cover zero look. That's it. It'd be very simple and, like, do, like, literally four things. I'd rather do, be very simple – and, like, really, really, really dang good at it. Then try to do way too much and never be good at quite anything. And a lot of defenses, when they're bad at the high school level, which I played at a, at a high school that was very good on defense, and they were very simple because they just said, we're going to run, like, three coverages and master it. They were way better, and guys missed way fewer assignments than defenses I played against, which had – I played against a school, Evergreen High School, that had, like, literally five D1 guys on defense, by the way. But they ran the most convoluted system, and <laughs> you, I don't care how talented you are. If you're in the wrong spot, if you send three guys to the flat and nobody's covering your receivers running vertical, it doesn't matter how good you are on paper or how physically gifted you are. We destroyed them. We beat them every year. They had a bunch of D1 talent. We were a bunch of crappy, slow, unathletic guys, and we dominated them because we were better coached and we were good at the coverages we ran rather than <laughs> – being just talented with, you know, convoluted, confusing schematics. So um, in in the NFL, be as complicated as you possibly can be. Make it hard for defense, for quarterbacks to identify what coverage you're in and have to verify everything pre and, you know, post-snap. In high school, you want to be as simple as you can. Don't make it hard for your players to know their assignment and make that allow them to master the three or four things you do and run a three four in high school because it's harder to find D line than it is to find linebackers. Because just you're not gonna find a lot of guys that are six four or two twenty, but you can find a lot of guys who are a little bit smaller, one eighty, can run fast, can hit guys. Linebackers are easier to find the defensive linemen. I've talked way longer than I thought about that, but um those are some of my defensive philosophies. Guys, I'm telling you, I could coach. I really want to coach someday. And I, I don't know when or how that'll happen. I Probably when I retire at like 70 years old, if football's still around, <laughs> I'll go into coaching. I would love to coach. I just don't I'm – not. I'm, I'm frankly, I love my job. I love what I'm doing, uh, and I don't really want to take the time to try to coach. And, and it, I'm not at this point in my life. But I could see myself really enjoying being a coach somewhere, and uh, if that day ever comes. I got a lot of contacts that would hire me. I've, I've been offered jobs before, and uh, I got offered a job at a small college being a quarterback coach one time. And they're like, you can do both. And I was like, I don't want to do both, you know. Um, I have chosen talking about football. It's a lot more fun than doing football. Um, but man, someday, someday I tell myself I might do it. And that would be, uh, really, really fun to do. Ben writes in and says, Hey Zach, I'm a diehard Steelers fan, but I'm going to say something that is probably controversial. I wish the Colts would have won against the Jaguars, which would have bounced the Steelers out of the playoffs. Let me explain. The overtime comeback win against our divisional rival, Baltimore was amazing, but I don't have faith in this current Steelers team making any noise in the playoffs, especially against Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. I'm 21 years old and I've grown up with Big Ben my entire life and don't want him to be embarrassed in his final game. It's not about draft position or anything like that, but ending a Hall of Fame career on such a high note. Feel free to roast me on your show, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Love the show. Keep up the great work. I don't think, Ben, that's not, that's not terrible. I, Devin uh, Engel, who does the Here We Go show, I'd love to hear his thoughts too on that. Um, Devin, make a video. 
Should the Steelers have lost? That's an interesting topic. You'll probably get a lot of hate for it, but that'd be fun. Um, look, sometimes it's better to wonder what would have happened and not know the answer, right? Like, yeah, what if Big Ben wins his final game in, you know, on the road? And right, was that on the? Yeah, it was on the road at Baltimore in overtime. They win the game. He's got a great. It's a great, awesome win. And then all, Big Ben did everything he could to put his team in a position to make a playoff run. But the Colts win. Pittsburgh gets eliminated. And, and then you'll always live your life going, well, hey, Big Ben did everything he could. Now what you might see is a massacre <laughs> uh, in Kansas City between Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Now, I don't know. I, I, you're very realistic, which I love. I love that about you. However, let's, let's not be realistic for a moment. Let's have some fun. Let's be uh, maybe dreamers. I love the movie La La Land. They, those people in that movie, they're dreamers. Uh, let's dream a little bit. What if? <laughs> what if Pittsburgh won a Super Bowl somehow this year? I don't think it's going to happen. But it's possible. It would not have been possible if they didn't make the playoffs. And uh, like almost every game you're going to play in – Almost every year in football you're going to play and you're going to end the season with a loss and you're not going to make the playoffs or you're going to lose losing in the playoffs. Um, so I don't know. I, I hear you, Ben. I don't think you're crazy. I think it, you, you're sentimental. You would have liked a fun right off into the sunset moment. But I would argue, hey, let's, let's roll the dice and gamble because the ultimate right off into the sunset moment could be Big Ben winning a Super Bowl. And I don't think it's going to happen. But it's not impossible and it would have been if the Colts would beat the Jaguars on Sunday and you would not have made the playoffs but yeah Ben don't don't call yourself crazy uh and don't hate on Ben because I think Ben has got a, a good heart and a good it's, it's a good idea for Big Ben to say to end doing everything he possibly could and not making it okay Carter writes in final question of the day he says I think Texas and USC are in the Michigan tier among football programs albeit in the Rich Rodriguez phase at the moment am I mistaken I know the tier list craze is long past, but maybe throwing together a program tier list of the top 50 or so programs to make it for a good offseason video. Plus, I'm sure there's plenty to be learned from a deeper dive. Um, I'm not going to do the tier thing, but I wanted to talk about this idea in general because um, – and maybe just if nothing else to say that, hey, Texas, USC, and Michigan. Uh, I throw in – I think Miami's one, Alabama's one, LSU is one. These are all programs who are – they have so much potential. And with the right coach, they have way more potential to do more than other coaches could. So if, if Nick Saban was at West Virginia, he wouldn't be the same. He, he wouldn't have won probably as much as he has. It, there's not as much passion and love and commitment to football. Uh, you know, USC, Texas, and Michigan with the same coach – are always going to be better than a team like Washington State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, no offense to them. I'm trying to think of others that are like that. You know, Iowa State, Kansas, like they're not, you know, blue bloods is a weird term, but it, it has some some value there, which is to say that it's a next level of commitment and a choice to say, like I, I thought Oklahoma was one of those schools, and then I saw Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma for USC, and I went, well, you know, <laughs> That's weird, but it kind of makes sense. It's that hey, USC has got even more cachet 
than Oklahoma, who has great facilities and a lot of financial investments. So, um, yeah, I'm interested, man. I, I, Carter, I, maybe we'll do the tier thing later down the road. But uh, if nothing else, let's acknowledge that with the right coach, Texas, USC, Michigan, and, and less meddling from boosters, with the right situation, those schools have more potential than almost any other in college football. All right, guys. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, I will see you very soon. We'll talk about Tom Brady on the next episode and the man in the arena. But um bum bam, we are done.